Hello, I'm Damien Venuto. It's July 5th, and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has announced a major new trade deal with the European Union. The promise is that it'll help to grow exports to the EU by $1.8 billion a year by 2035. But not everyone is happy. And some members of the farming community don't feel this deal does enough to support their sector. So who are the big winners and losers in this deal? And will New Zealanders even notice any of the changes as they take effect? Today, I'm joined by NZ Herald Business Editor-at-Large and Money Talks host Liam Dan for a discussion about what this deal means for the country. Liam, the Prime Minister just signed a big trade deal during her visit to Europe. What exactly did she get across the line? Primarily, it's a deal that removes tariffs and quotas for a lot of New Zealand exports into the EU, with the very big exception of our meat and dairy sector. There is some movement for beef, but not huge, and nothing really for dairy. So it's a um, big step in that, you know, we've not had uh, any kind of deal with Europe, and I think that's really significant. But yeah, certainly um, some disappointment from meat and dairy. So whenever we hear about these big trade deals, sometimes the language is a bit esoteric. Could you give us a brief explanation of what the fair trade deal actually means in a practical sense? And how would things differ if New Zealand hadn't signed this deal? Well, this deal aside, because it's not a complete removal of tariffs, generally uh, with free trade deals, what we're trying to do is just get access to markets. So we're looking for access to markets without tariffs being imposed and barriers being imposed. So tariffs or quotas, which is limits to the amount that can be sold. You know, New Zealand is largely a free trading nation in that we removed all our tariffs and barriers, or almost all of them, in the 80s and through the 90s when we decided that's it, we're in for the long haul with globalisation and free trade. Uh, You know, the farmers went through a lot of pain in the 80s coping with that. But now when we do a free trade deal like this, it it tends to be almost entirely beneficial to our economy because we don't have the things to drop, which makes it an interesting thing to to negotiate with an economy like Europe's, which has still got a lot of barriers in place. When you look at this deal, who will be the biggest winners? Probably the industries like Zespri, kiwi fruit, wine, and other horticultural areas, the services sector, which means tech and manufacturing, that sort of thing, they have their access improved. So those parts of the New Zealand economy, those exports are very happy, and we're putting out press releases last week welcoming the deal and calling it a great success. But then not everyone in the farming sector is happy. There are some members of that sector that have also expressed some concern about this deal. Our ministers have been telling us we've got to do more and more environmental stuff, animal welfare, all for the right reasons, of course, but we'll get paid for it and be rewarded in free trade agreements. No, nowhere to be seen. Really disappointed. The dairy sector and the meat sector, which is the bulk of our classic farming sector, was not happy at all because they're largely excluded from the deal. It's quite a significant point in this deal and it makes it a bit of a culture clash, a sort of an ideological clash because they feel we should have walked away from the deal because dairy and meat is so central to our economy. I think what's happened here is the government has said, well, we're never really going to get a good deal on dairy and meat into Europe or not in the foreseeable future. We can't let these other benefits go. So they've 
pushed dairy and meat to one side, which hasn't happened before. So, I mean, that's that balancing act that you're talking about, that it's a case of allowing a free trade agreement, but Europe also doesn't want to undermine its own industry within its borders. Yeah, I mean, Europe has been fiercely protective, the French famously so, of their dairy sector and their meat sector, but dairy in particular is such a hot potato there that they... they, they, Look, I think there was very little chance of us getting a deal there. I know the National Party and, and some of the other trade people have said we've missed an opportunity there. That opportunity is like saying New Zealand missed the opportunity to go to the Football World Cup and win the Football World Cup. We might have beaten Costa Rica, but we were never going to win the Football World Cup. We were never going to get great access for dairy in Europe. So we had to make a call. The trade purists, and, and there are people like, say, Stephen Jacoby with the... Um, New Zealand International Business Forum, that are not happy with this, which is probably a little bit of a blow to the government because he's usually a huge supporter of all trade deals. But they tend to take a fairly pure view that New Zealand should be holding the line on trade deals that are free and open access and not allowing them to sort of split it the way that it has been split. But I think it's a pragmatic approach from the government that was the right approach. And I think it also, this is the controversial bit from my opinion, sends a signal that New Zealand has to grow the rest of its economy. It can't keep relying on meat and dairy. We kind of know that. I mean, there is a limit to how many cows we're going to get in this country. And so this is a step in that direction. In your analysis, you did point out that we shouldn't be expecting any short-term gains from this deal, that this is very much a long-term deal. Is that where the confusion or the frustration is maybe seeping in here, where some people are expecting those shorter-term gains versus looking at the longer term, looking at where the economy is going? Yeah, without meat and dairy, it's not an economically significant deal in the short term. There's just no way. And and some people are saying these are optimistic estimates by the government, but talking about growing exports to Europe by 1.8 billion a year by 2035. Now that is sort of, uh, that's a rounding error on the amount of dairy we sell every year. We sell more or less dairy based on how the rain fell on a season and that can shift our export earnings by billions so it's not transformational in that sense but in terms of the message it sends I guess to exporters if you're a a winemaker or um, a boutique horticulturalist or, or someone looking around the world for markets and Europe had tariffs and barriers that were making it hard work going there and they're removed it incentivizes you to look at Europe as a growth market and I think it's the growth in the right areas for the economy when we look at what's happening in the world over the next few years and decades. On the topic of Europe protecting assets within its borders, there was a bit of concern over the use of words like mozzarella, feta and parmesan. Under the new agreement, will we still be allowed to use those words in the local supermarket aisles? New Zealand producers will have to stop using those specific ones. Um, feta, uh, Gruyere, um, sorry, there was one more there, but they keep the right to use uh, camembert, brie, parmesan, sort of ones that have been conceded as being more generic. This is a debate around um, region of origin trademarking that has been going on inside and outside of trade deals. In fact, New Zealand has been fighting hard and made some gains in the steel on things like manuka honey. And so it's a bit of give and take. They've got nine years to stop using feta and, and describe it as our own product. There's a lot of growth in things like sheep's cheese out of New Zealand. So that's not an insurmountable challenge by any stretch. In fact, it could be an opportunity. The dairy sector says it's a blow. I, I think, in a way, it's kind of fair enough. New Zealand needs to um, sell its own products as its own thing. And it's understandable they're protective of their traditional products. Yeah, and I suppose it does create an opportunity for us to create a new brand out of what we have called Feta until this point. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, to identify it as being uniquely from New Zealand with its own characteristics, a lot of producers of cheeses are, are trying to do that anyway because they could see this coming regardless of this deal or not. The European Union is the world's largest single market. It's a 27-nation trading bloc, and it's expected export revenue from the deal will increase by $1.8 billion a year when it's fully rolled out by 2035. From day one of the deal, though, tariffs on 91% of our goods are eliminated, saving Kiwi exporters $100 million a year. Liam, a lot of this stuff is happening on a very macroeconomic level, but New Zealanders right now are really concerned about the cost of living crisis. Will this deal help in any way to alleviate that problem? No. (laughs) Another reason that that they're sort of often hard for the consumers to get excited about trade deals, we have, as I said earlier, removed our tariffs and barriers. We don't immediately get gains. If we were going to get gains, it would be through the arrival of cheaper French cheese and wine and so on, which actually, you know, I might say is wouldn't be such a bad thing, but really um, they um, don't have any barriers anyway. You know, so what comes here comes here. The opportunity is there to grow that if people see uh, potential. But if anything, that consumer gains would be in Europe where maybe they'll get a better deal on kiwi fruit, for example, or New Zealand wine. I mean, it's, it's already pretty cheap wine in Europe. And they won't get the gains on dairy and meat. And again, that is because the dairy sector, for example, you know, when, when Europe looks at New Zealand, they see our strength in dairy and we're a real threat to them. And so they are not prepared to take that step into trade liberalisation yet. And politically, they're a long way away from that. As part of her trip to Europe, the Prime Minister also signed an agreement that would allow more Kiwis to live and work in the UK. Boris Johnson and his Kiwi counterpart Jacinta Ardern agreed to extend the youth mobility and working holiday schemes. The age limit for applicants will increase from 30 to 35 and the maximum length people can stay in either country will now be three years. So is this a risky move given that New Zealand's already facing a worker exodus? Yeah, I I saw it was quite widely welcomed, and it is a good thing for Kiwis going over there. You know, if I think of my own experience, I had to come back after two years, and I probably wasn't ready. But if I'd been allowed to stay three, I might not have come back. So I I, kind of think there is a bit of risk there. It allows Kiwis to get more established in professional careers, probably, than they might have in the UK. We want Kiwis to go out and experience the world, develop their skills and expertise, and then hopefully bring it back. And there will always be pull factors around coming back to New Zealand. It is a risk. There's probably other issues that we should be focusing on about talking about free markets. You know, we need to compete in the global market to make New Zealand attractive for young people and for young New Zealanders. So, you know, things like house prices and the cost of living are going to be factors for Kiwis when they make those kind of decisions and job opportunities, growing sectors that are um, creating jobs that actually smart young people want to do tech sector, that kind of stuff is is hugely important. How important are these big economic and trade deals to the country? Is this really about business or is it about global partnerships and politics? A bit of both on this one. I mean, you know, like there's been a lot of talk about China, expansion in the Pacific, geopolitical tension as, as we sort of um, try and navigate our way through uh, the tension between uh, Europe, NATO, America and China. So I guess we've done a UK trade deal, a European trade deal. There's 
an effort underway to try and diversify New Zealand's trade footprint, I guess, away from a reliance on China. To be fair, this this European deal probably doesn't do that to any great extent because without dairy and, and meat in there, it won't hugely shift the dial there. The Prime Minister's trip has shifted the focus a bit in that direction. But, you know, look, these things are economically significant as well. I mean, the Chinese free trade deal was hugely significant to New Zealand. I think it's gone from $9 billion of, of, of trade with China when we signed it to about $32 billion. Admittedly, China's uh, rise as an economic power has coincided and its demand for our goods, but that China free trade deal really changed New Zealand's economy. And it's about the potential with this, this European deal and the UK deal. It's about the potential to um, take new products into new markets and to incentivise people to do it. Liam, the government has been under fire from the opposition when it comes to the economy. Do you think this deal will help to ease off some of that pressure or will the impact simply be too long term to have a real impact on voters' minds in the coming election? I think it looks like success broadly. I think the Prime Minister looked strong in Europe. She does seem to be strong and outside of New Zealand, you know, foreign policy and dealing with world leaders. And I kind of think National recognised that a bit. They could have been more negative. I mean, certainly Fed Farmers and some of those groups were very negative about this trade deal. National was more cautious called it an important step and said they were disappointed about the meat and dairy, but they didn't say it was terrible. I I think they recognise that that this was probably a positive for the Prime Minister. They didn't want to be seen to look churlish. So they will keep their focus, I would say, firmly on uh, the cost of living in New Zealand and those domestic economic issues, which are just going to keep burning. Cheers for joining us today, Liam. No worries. All good. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Front Page. You can read more about this and other stories in the New Zealand Herald, online at nzherald.co.nz, or tune in to news bulletins across the NZME network. With thanks to our producer and editor, Sean D. Wilson, and executive producer, Ethan Sills. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.